It's Thursday, November 17th. Welcome to Mark Fuller. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool One, Mr. Ron Gross. Hey, hey. Thanks for being here. I love being here. We gotta we gotta wrap this up quick because we've got a little <laughs> Thanksgiving lunch here at the Motley mm, Fool. Mmm, turkey. <laughs> We're actually because uh, I think longtime listeners know you are you are more than a little handy in the kitchen. So we're gonna uh, okay. We're gonna talk stocks like we always do. On I don't want to oversell it though. I'm gonna oversell it. We're we're gonna talk stocks, but we're but you know get your get your laptops, get your pen and paper handy because we're gonna get some Thanksgiving cooking tips from Ron Gross. But we gotta we gotta start with some news. We're also gonna dip into the full mailbag. Let's start with Best Buy. Holy cow! <laughs> Their third quarter was fantastic. Do you mean holy cow, Ron? How could you get this one so wrong? You're not alone. I there are you can't swing a dead cat in this office without hitting someone who at some point over the last 5 years said, "Boy, I think Best Buy is dead." Yeah, and I don't even know. I probably did say dead at one point in time, but that was probably overselling that. But certainly not healthy would have would have been fair. And you know, sometimes you think, you know, this is I'm pretty sure about this one. And this was one of those where I was like, you know, they're just not going to do well going forward. And here we are with the stock up 40% this year. Um, and the third quarter being pretty solid, and and guidance actually for the fourth quarter not being too shabby either. So really, just got it wrong here. And and Amazon is certainly the big Kahuna here, but Best Buy is not dead yet. They beat expectations. Um, we saw domestic same store sales up 1.8 percent. It's not knocking the cover off the ball, but it's positive, um, and and it's good to see. the The big number here is their online sales. Yes, continuing to to really get it done, up 24 percent for the quarter. That's that's really impressive, especially in the face of Amazon. Well, and we saw this with Target earlier in the week, and and I I think you can't dismiss it. I you know. It, for for anyone who's looking at this saying, well, that's not huge, or in in absolute dollars, it's not huge. Well, maybe not, but the, it's going in the right direction. And so, just as I said about Target, you know what? They they should be growing their online sales to the tune of double digits. So should Best Buy, and they actually are. They are. The, the multi-channel is is essential in, in today's day and age, as they say, um, and it, it's showing up in the bottom line with profits up fifty percent for Best Buy. What? How had that happen? Um, and and guidance for the full year being around three dollars and twenty five cents or so, um, which really translates to a PE ratio at current prices of only about thirteen times, where the market is over twenty, probably twenty four times. Um, so if you believe, as I haven't in the past, no. that Best Buy can continue to to just kind of chug along and put up some growth, thirteen times is cheap. And I think that they have, you know, even in the past when we were saying, I don't know how bright the future is for this company. They look like they're 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 going down the tubes. One of the things that we did call out in terms of, okay, let's say Best Buy turns it around. What does it? One of the things that we and I'm using the the collective we <laughs> yes. here. Um, one of the things we did point to was customer service. Yep. Was saying, look, in the same way that Home Depot helps people like me mm-hmm. who are, are you know who need a little help in in finding whatever, if they can go that route, and they appear to have not only done that to this point. One of the things uh, Hubert Jolie. The CEO called out was how that's their focus for the holidays. They're, they've got this whole th- their theme for the holidays is gifting made easy. Yeah, and they're they're really 
they're investing in customer service, and it appears to be paying off. Well, that was my biggest knock on this company. Um, it was that if they needed to differentiate themselves, how would they do it? And the only real way would be through customer service. It wasn't going to be through product offerings or price. And my biggest knock was that they just were not getting it done. The customer service experience, every time I walked into that store, I know this is anecdotal, but every time I walked into that store, it was just horrible. I wanted to get out as soon as possible. <laughs> if they're improving it, then then you know, kudos to them. They're doing exactly what they needed to do, as well as kind of shrinking their footprint a bit, closing close closing some underperforming stores. Um, there was just too many, whether it's the big box or the smaller mobile stores, and it's showing up in the numbers. Let's move on to a broad category, and this is something we... I don't even remember the last time we talked about this industry, but we've started to get a lot of questions this week from listeners about shipping stocks. Dry ships... Yep. Uh, it's mostly dry know, ships, right. It's mostly dry ships. These are stocks that have skyrocketed in the last 7 to 10 days. Yeah. What is and skyrocketed meaning up triple digits. Right. So when we say it was mostly dry ships, I don't mean the company dry ships, although we will we'll chat about that. It's the dry bulk shippers that are mostly, you know, skyrocketing um, since the election. We're not really talking about the oil freighters and companies like that. The dry bulk ones are the ones that have just gone to the moon, and it's largely a result of these stocks being left for dead for quite some time. A lot of them are small stocks or micro cap stocks, um, and when Trump got a elected, the hope was fiscal stimulus is coming, tax cuts are coming, infrastructure spending is coming, inflation is coming, higher commodity prices will ensue, and all of these things are theoretically good for the the dry bulk shippers, and a short squeeze really um, ensued. And you saw these stocks go to the moon, dry ships being the one that is probably the most egregious, up 1,500% since this all began. Now, Funny enough, they're all down today, thirty, forty percent or so, because this is it got overheated uh, for sure. Um, but it's a really interesting phenomenon. You know, we're seeing a lot of sectors um, go up after after Trump won, but this one has been has been the biggest, one of the biggest winners. I mean, it's it's one of those things where and and Bill Mann uh, had uh, tweeted about this earlier in the week. He tweeted out a a pretty uh, instructive chart. Yeah. Just saying, look, look, if you want to look at the short term and see dry ships, the company up 1,500%, you can do that. Let's back it out. Let's see what the chart looks like over the last 12 months. And you see, even with this spike, it's still down. Yeah, dry ships was actually a company um, when I look for deep value stocks, it was one that always would show up on my screen. And for, for various reasons um, specific to the company, I always just moved on and, yeah. and passed on it. But boy, um, there are some, some happy people. You know, it's a tiny company from a share count perspective because they had to do some reverse splits in order to not get delisted. <laughs> That's how troubled they were. Didn't they do um, like a 15 for they, yeah, they did more than more than one to, um, to get the stock price um, high enough to stay listed, and because there are so little shares outstanding, it makes the short squeeze even you know even more magnified, and that's where you get a fifteen hundred percent pop. Well, and that's where the you know things like a, a a big short squeeze can can be confusing, because. I, I you know I think there are a lot of investors, and and I'm this way. Um, not all the time, but I would say in a lot of occasions, if I see a stock spiking, one of my gut reactions is, "Boy, what are they doing right?" Right. And it's you know, it's in this case, it's like, no, 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 they didn't suddenly get some amazing 
management team in place or their fortunes weren't you know miraculously turned around right more often than not a rising stock price is an indication that something is going well at the company but it's not always and you always you know you want to be careful and make sure you understand why stock prices are moving and even more importantly what are the fundamentals of the business our email address is marketfoolery at fool.com from Christian Belko, listener number 37. I enjoy listening to the podcast the day after it's recorded, and listening to it helped me make some smart decisions toward using some of my funds for the purchase of my new car. Hey, congrats. Nice. Uh, while my new car is great, I did have a question about rebuilding my portfolio now that I used about 75% of it to make the car purchase. I removed all of my positions except for two that I have in Salesforce.com and Under Armour. I consider these core positions going forward, but I'm wondering if I should reduce my share amounts in these positions and spread them out evenly over other positions that I'm considering to add to my portfolio from my watch list. Uh, it's a great question, and yeah. I think you know. I mean, in his case, it's Salesforce.com and Under Armour. I think for a lot of investors, any t- you know, it can be any two stocks. Yeah. Anytime you are liquidating part of your portfolio to buy a new car, buy, buy a new house, home, whatever it is, right? You know, pay for school, that sort of thing. Um, what what are the things to consider when when looking at this situation? Yeah, we were talking about rebuilding at this point. So he 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 built it built it up at one point, and now he's he's starting over to a certain extent, but he's in a better position. I think that when he began, because he's got two solid companies that he considers core, I can't give him specific information, but we can speak generally. Um, nothing wrong with starting with one or two stocks. That's that's the way he probably started in the first place. Building them up over time is fine. The only caveat I would say is if those two positions are so large for some reason um, that he won't sleep at night, or that the risk associated with them from a portfolio perspective are outsized, then it would be okay to maybe pare back on some of those positions, free up cash to to diversify into other stocks, or maybe even an S and P five hundred index fund to get instant diversification if he wanted to take some money to do that. But I would be careful about selling off um, because there are tax consequences. Assuming he has gains there, he will take a hit, and the hit might not be worth worth what he's getting as a result of the hit. So, if as long as they're not really outsized positions, you got your two; they're your core. Start adding as soon as you can, as you have money. Make sure you keep your commissions each time you buy a stock to under two percent, even under one percent would be better, um, which should be doable in today's day and age of commissions being so low. And just build it back up. He did it once; he'll do it again. Do you have a, a number in your mind? And I'm just talking about you personally. Where, if you're looking at your portfolio, you see that one position represents 25% of your portfolio. 30. 40, mm-hmm. Like, is there a number where you say, "Okay, I don't care how great I feel about that company and the management team and the business prospects. That's too high. I got to sell some of that off." There absolutely is, and it's because I'm a relatively conservative value investor that my number is low. It's probably significantly lower than someone like David Gardner, perhaps, who loves to let his winners run and is not afraid, for lack of a better word, to have one stock be a huge position in his portfolio. If I see a stock get to be 5 6 or 7%, I start to think about whether that's appropriate or not. Certainly, 10% would probably be too much for me. 5%? For me. Wow! Yeah. I would, I would have guessed higher. Yeah. Now it depends. I 
in in a, in a deep value portfolio, which is a piece of my portfolio, I would easily let a stock get to 10, 15, or 20 percent. But that's just a piece of my overall portfolio. And and when you do the math, you probably really then are probably only at five percent or so. Couple of housekeeping notes. Uh, first, you can always check out past episodes of Market Foolery and all of our podcasts here at the Motley Fool at our podcast center, which is just podcast.fool.com. Uh, the new issue, speaking of David Gardner, the new issue of Stock Advisor, which is our flagship service, uh, comes out on Friday. Uh, two new stock recommendations from David and Tom Gardner, uh, and all the other things that come with that service. And if you want to check it out, test drive the service, you can go to the Podcast Center and just scroll down to the bottom of the page. Uh, so that's podcast.fool.com. Second, every year the President of the United States gives out the Presidential Medal of Freedom. This is the highest civilian honor that the President can give. The list came out yesterday, and I am happy to say that one of the people on the list who will be receiving the Presidential Medal of Freedom is Newton Minow, the father uh, of Nell Minow, awesome. who is the, the most frequent guest we've had on Motley Fool Money over the years, and a big friend of the Fool. So, we are very happy for Nell and her dad and, and their entire family. That's so, great. kudos to them. Uh, last housekeeping note, uh, we're going to be hitting the road here at Market Foolery. We are heading to New York City. We're going to be doing a show on the road. Dan Boyd, our man behind the glass, smiling and nodding. That's awesome. We're working out the details on this. We're going to work out the exact date and the exact location in New York City, and we will get all of that information out to you. But we are going to be doing an episode of Market Foolery. Um, all I know for certain is it's going to be in December, and it's going to be during the day. Um, so we'd love it if if uh, a few of the dozens uh, could come out and <laughs> studio audience or, or? Uh, you know we, we got <laughs> that that assumes we're in a studio we got, we got to figure <laughs> out point, where, where we're going to be but uh, but you know if you want to play hooky from work for a little while we'd love to see you all right the listeners have been waiting long enough <laughs> you won't, you're overselling couple couple of th- give me a couple of Thanksgiving tips uh, uh, and it can be for. It can be for the turkey itself. Mm-hmm. It could be desserts. Dessert is a big part of my Thanksgiving meal every year. What is, what is, do you do? You have a, a particular food that you're like, oh, this. I know I'm going to have this. For me, it's always stuffing and gravy. Uh, well, yes, <laughs> more of that, please. Yeah. You know what I really like? I like a sweet potato pie, but not for dessert. I like to serve it hot with melted marshmallows on top as as a potato with the meal. I, that's always my killer thing, and it's okay. because my mother made it probably when when, when I was younger. Um, so great memories there. Um, overall tips: uh, Don't be afraid to brine your turkey, um, which will keep it moist, um, and don't even be afraid to make. Um, Things the day before. I don't think the days of Thanksgiving should be stressful. It should be about fun and family, and perhaps giving some thanks and maybe a cocktail or two. And if you're you're stressing out with you know ten different things and two different ovens and three different burners, it it's, takes away from the fun a bit. Um, don't be afraid to drink red wine with your turkey. Um, most people would think poultry is probably a white wine kind of meal, but um, roasted meats, even roasted turkey, roasted chicken, um, great with red wine. The brining is that is that a, is there a danger of over brining? You could you could theoretically over brine. Depends what you put it put into it. The typical brine would have salt, brown sugar. Lots of spices, pepper, um, bay leaves, and different things. I, some people throw in some bourbon every now and again. Sure. That might be good for you. Um, you could overdo it, but it's it's relatively forgiving. It's a good point about doing stuff ahead of time, particularly if if 
uh, as is the case in my family, you've, you've got about like 10, 12 pies that are going to be, mm. that are going to be, done. you've knocked those out, the, you know, day or two before. And then in terms of the oven, it's just. Yeah. Not everything just, heats up or microwaves well. Like mashed potatoes are tough to do yeah. um, the day before, but you can get away with stuffing, perhaps a good cornbread sausage stuffing, may I uh, suggest? Uh, do you ever, uh, have, have you ever tried this yourself or been somewhere where someone deep fried the turkey? I have, and it can get it dangerous. Good? you got to be careful. But well, yes, yeah. it's delicious, especially if you do it right, though. You want to make sure it does, it's not raw in the middle, because you can get overcooked on the outside, raw in the middle, and then your Thanksgiving is <laughs> you're sending everyone to the hospital. And I think, but yeah, it's delicious think, if you do it right. I think one thing we can all plan on is that at some point in the next seven days, there's going to be a story about some moron <laughs> who decided to deep fry the turkey, but took it straight from the freezer Ooh. and put it into the deep fryer. And that's when there's always one of those. That's when the explosion happened. Ron Gross, thanks for being here, man. My pleasure. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. This show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday.